0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at org. We start a new worship series uh, today. It's called The Faith of Abraham. Well, it's called The Almost Faith of Abraham, and I think that will make sense in just a moment. Our scripture lesson today comes from Genesis, the 12th. Chapter. Uh, It'll be online, it'll be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. When he departed from Haran, Abraham took his Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions they had and the persons whom he had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go out to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negeb. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Vacation all I ever wanted vacation, have to get away. Tis the season for vacation. Not for all of you because you're here today, but for all of those others who are on vacation, tis the season. And it's exciting to pick up and go and see what God has in store for you, especially this time of year. Now, if you think it's impossible to juggle 20 chainsaws, I mean, you might think Losing those last 10 pounds are impossible. But have you ever tried getting a child to go to sleep the night before your family goes on vacation? Impossible. The good news is that daddy's typically awake too. It's exciting to pick up and to go and to see what's... Well, it is for me, uh, at least. And this week is annual conference. Uh, We're gathering in Baton Rouge it's not a vacation. It's not a vacation. But it's exciting to hit the road and to go and to see what God has in store. Early in God's story, we have this, we have this juxtaposition, this side-by-side of being on the move and stagnation. We have this idea of, of movement being close to the heart of God and staying put to a place that you've decided to go doesn't seem to work out all that great. Even in the beginning, the man and the woman are in the garden, and God planted the garden, and, and God said to, for the man to till and to keep the garden, and of course they were kicked out of the garden. And then the text says that Adam then had to eat in grief, is what the Hebrew suggests. Now, we, we translate that often as, but like, by the sweat of his brow, he toiled the land. But in the Hebrew, it says he had to eat in grief. It's because God had planted, but now, now, Adam has to cultivate on his own. There's this idea that cultivation was part of the curse. He now had to eat in grief. Next generation, we have Cain and Abel right? Do we know the story, Cain and Abel, right? Uh, Abel was the uh, hunter-gatherer, and Cain was the farmer, right? And this is not just a story of two brothers. It's also a story of two ways of being. And Cain rose up against Abel, and Cain killed Abel. Well, then God appeared and said, Cain, why is your brother's blood crying to me from the ground? And of course, Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Wrong answer, Cain. The farmer killed the hunter-gatherer. And historically speaking, that is exactly what happened. Civilization overtook hunters and gatherers. So it's also a story about how we are. So God tells Cain now... You have to be a wanderer. And Cain says, wandering is too much for me. So he settles east of Eden and he starts civilization. He stays put. And then we have Noah. You know that story, right? It rained and poured for 40 long daisies, daisies, and it was water-covered the earth for like 150 days, right? God was done with this idea of civilization. God even said, okay, I'm going to take the dry land away for a bit so that you are always now going to be on the move. Noah, take your family, build a boat. Understand, the the boat didn't have a sail or, or a propulsion. It was, you have to be on the move. There's no more land. I need you to be moving with me. And of course, the ark hits dry land. And what's the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the ark? Well, actually, the first thing he does is he builds an altar to God and gives thanks. And wouldn't you? I mean, how long do you need to stay on a boat before you start to go crazy, right? first thing he does is he gives thanks to God. But the second thing he does, do you know the story? Abraham started to cultivate as soon as he gets off the ark. He plants a vineyard, and raises grapes, and makes wine, and then gets naked and drunk. Wouldn't you? How long do you need to be on a boat? I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. Right. So, immediately there's this cultivation. God says to Abe, uh, says to Noah, as he's going off of off the ark, Go and fill the earth. And what does Noah do? He, he cultivates. He doesn't trust that. He cultivates, and sometimes this cultivation works out poorly. And then the very next story we have is the Tower of Babel, right? One person, one people, one language, one building project, and they want to build a tower to the heavens. And then in one of the funniest verses in all of Scripture, God had to come out of heaven just to see what they were doing. That's how big their tower was, right? We're going to build a tower to the heavens, and God says, I don't I, I can't even see what, I, binoculars aren't strong enough. So God comes out of heaven just to see what they're doing. And what does God do? God scatters this civilization, gives them languages. Go and fill the earth. And this story taken out of context might sound like a really good thing. All of humanity together, all speaking the same language, all building a tower, assimilation into one idea, but... This has not been part of God's story. God doesn't want one idea, one way of looking at things. We are in the season of Pentecost, or the season after Pentecost Sunday. And it was a day where not one language was offered, many were offered. The apostles could speak in many languages. In other words, it is the same gospel, it is the same message, it is one spirit, but spoken in lots of different ways. All over the earth. Go and fill the earth. God says, and I will equip you with whatever language you need to share that gospel. So then we get to Abraham or Abram. This idea of God saying, Abram, I need you to go should not be foreign because God has been doing this the whole time, begging humanity to be on the move. And what did humanity do? Humanity said, we don't need you. To which God replies, I know. I know you don't need me. I created you. But I want you to want me. Let me plant for you. And all you have to do is harvest. I want you don't want me, right? So, this idea of asking Abram to go and to leave everything behind is not a foreign idea. So, God appears before Abram Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing to. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses, by the way, those are really great odds, right? I will bless all of those who bless you, but the one who curses you, I'll curse them. That is a 99.99% return, friends. And that's a good story. To the one that will curse you, I too will curse you. And in all of the families of the earth, they shall be blessed. And then it says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Faithful Abraham, he went as the Lord had told him. Except that's not the end of the sentence. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. It's like when God tells Noah to fill the earth, and he stops and he sits and he plants a vineyard and he cultivates. God tells Abram to leave his family behind, and he sees Lot packing a bag. To which God is saying, ah, jeez, <laughs> O.M. me. Like, what, what, what are they not getting? Why is Lot pa- I told you to leave everything behind. Why is Lot packing a bag so close? It's like when, hypothetically speaking, uh, when your child gets out of the bathtub and they're soaking wet and wearing pajamas... You're like, ah, so close. So close. So close, Abraham. So close. (laughs) Let's take a look at what God is asking Abram to do. Go from your country. Go from your kindred. Go from your father's house. Go from your country. In other words, leave behind your politic, and the way you assume the world works. Go from your kindred, and at the time, children are blessings, right? Go from your kindred and your family. Leave behind the blessing you think you have. Go from your father's house. Leave behind the name that you have inherited and the value you think it has. Leave behind your politic. Leave behind what you think is possible. Leave behind the value that someone else has given you. And go to where I am showing you. Now, God doesn't leave Abram to his own devices, right? There's a promise. The rest of that text says this. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Leave behind the nation you've inherited because I will make you a nation. Leave behind the blessing of your kin because I will bless you. Leave behind your father's name because I will make your name great. And you will be the blessing. Not your politic, not your stuff, and not your popularity. You are the blessing. God isn't asking Abram, for a venture capitalist risk here, right? God is transforming who Abraham was and who Abram thinks he is. And God is doing it with God's own presence. I will make a nation out of you. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing to others. God is redefining Abram. And friends, that's what happens with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah and the gospel of Luke, he goes to his hometown uh, in in, uh, the synagogue there, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has uh, sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this has been fulfilled in your hearing. By the power of the Holy Spirit, when you begin to preach good news to the poor, you begin to realize how much bad news there is. When you start to proclaim by the power of the Holy Spirit released to the captives, you begin to realize just how thick those chains have become. By the power of the Holy Spirit, when you start to talk about recovering sight, you begin to realize just how blind we have been. Let the oppressed go free. To those who are stuck, may we create an environment for people to be on the move with God. So that we can proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year that God says you are a blessing. It is powerful. And yet, Abram brings Lot. Which is not... What God asked him to do. In other words, there is still a glimpse of doubt in this story. He heard God speak. I'm going to do these amazing things for you, Abram. And yet, there is doubt. The father of our faith has an insurance policy by bringing Lot with him. It reminds me of, uh, we talked about it last week, the end of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is there. He said, go to the mountain that I told you. And they went. uh, And it says they worshipped him. And some doubted. There were some there who had seen Jesus feed thousands of people who saw Jesus walk on water and turn water into wine and raise the dead and heal the hundreds. They've seen this Jesus suffer the scourge of the Roman authority. They saw this Jesus come out of the tomb and say, "Psych, he's alive. And here they are at the end of the story seeing Jesus on the mountain. And they're like, eh. Hmm. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> if there are any preachers watching right now, just know that after all of it, there were still people there saying, eh. We know he walked on water, but we hope the bishop calls, right? They're like, nah, we'll see. We'll see. We will see a pattern developing in the story of Abraham. The pattern always begins with promise. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. Your ancestors will be blessed. But after the promise, there's almost always doubt. Not only, because God said, go leave everything behind. Not only does Abram bring Lot with him as an insurance policy, he also brings all of his stuff. (laughs) And all of his slaves. Abraham is certainly a flawed character. He brings all of this stuff with him. And when he shows up to Canaan, I can imagine how awkward this was. He shows up to Canaan, the land that God is showing him to go, and he's like, um, this is awkward. There are already people here. There is doubt. There is promise. And there is doubt. But with the doubt, there is also affirmation. God says, look. To your ancestors, I will give this land. So with our doubt, there is also affirmation and a reminder of the promise. But then there is also Loss. There is promise, there is doubt, there is affirmation, and then there is loss. Lot went with him, and that caused lots of problems. Eventually, Lot and Abram part ways. Lot had been treating him as a son. They had divided up their possessions. He sent him off, you know, to Sodom or Alabama, whichever, he sent him off. And then God appears, God appears before Abram and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abram bargains with God. Stands before God, or in some translations, and which is also probably closer, it says God stood before Abram. And Abram said, This is not just. Are you going to destroy Sodom if there are 50 righteous people there? God says, Okay, well, not if there are 50 righteous people. He bargains with God. How about 40? How about 30? Abram shakes his fist as God and said, This is not just and this is not right. Friends, this story of Abraham, I hope you understand that blind faith is not a prerequisite in this story. Never screwing up is not a prerequisite to having a relationship with God. I hope you're hearing the story. Abraham, Abram, stood before God and said, you're not being just right now. So, I hope that in your story, if there's a moment where you are feeling that, that you vocalize that. God has already heard that before. There are times in our life where we can stand and say, I don't get it. I don't understand. This is not just. And you need to help me figure this out. Abraham gives us permission to ask some really difficult questions of God. Now, God eventually leaves. And Sodom goes up in smoke. Do you know what the sin of Sodom was? Well, it says in Ezekiel, chapter 14, chapter 16, verse 49, it says, This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. But they did not aid the poor. I'll say that again. What is the sin of Sodom? Why was God so angry with them? She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. And they did not aid the poor and needy. If the sin of Sodom was different, then Ezekiel missed a grand opportunity to say it. It seems taking advantage of people, especially the poor, makes God very angry indeed. Lot is living in Sodom. God says says he's going to destroy Sodom. The next morning, after bargaining with God and shaking his fist at God, saying, this is not just, Abram woke up early in the morning, looked towards Sodom, and saw that it was smoldering. Here's the thing, friends. There's no record of Abram and Lot ever speaking after that. So as far as Abraham knows, Lot is gone. The one he was treating as a son, the one who was going to be an heir, is gone. Now, did they ever speak after that? Probably. But the story is written specifically for us to recognize that in this pattern and in our relationship with God, there is promise, there is doubt, There's affirmation, and there's also loss. There is reconciliation when Joseph says to his brothers, I forgive you, generations from now. So if you have ever been doubtful, if you have ever experienced loss, or in the process of experiencing loss. These next few weeks as we study the father of Judaism and Christianity and Islam will be a powerful story indeed. The faith of Abraham, well, the almost faith of Abraham. Because sometimes being a person of faith means that you devote your life to planting a tree under whose shade you will never sit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.